I said here, I've mentioned this before, somebody that was a manumitted slave, that means somebody that was a slave, that was bought out of their slavery, could never be on the same level. Oh, they were free, and what a beautiful thing to be free. But we don't want to just be free, we want to be freeborn. You'd be free by being bought. Because whoever owns you before doesn't own you anymore. Now, there again is the conundrum of this as well, because you were a possession of that other master, and now you're a possession again, and yet he says you're free. That's part of understanding what it means when it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. You're free to be a part of a new master's household. You're free to be a part of a new kingdom. There's still a king. You're still going to have to answer to someone in authority, but you're free. This present world we're living in wants to be free, but they don't want to be free to serve. They want to be free to do their own will. And we're purchased so we might be the possession of a greater king. A greater and more glorious master. Paul recognized that fact. You read through his letters. There is again this dichotomy in Paul's statements between the fact that he was a literal prisoner in Rome during some of those statements and the fact that he was also making allusion to the fact that he was a prisoner of the Lord. Notice how he says that. Here he is sitting in a Roman prison cell and he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the vocation with your call. He says it several times like that. It's Ephesians 4.1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. He wasn't just a prisoner of man. He was also a prisoner of the Lord. You and I, we're part of the captivity that was led captive. We're part of the ones that were in prison houses that were set free. We're part of the ones who were in debt slavery and our debt was paid. Our debt that sold us into slavery was so high, no man could pay the price to free us. You know, God built those hopes all into the law of Moses. Several times the law of Moses, he had systems in place by which you could be freed from slavery if you were a slave, or by which you could go on into a different type of relationship, like when your ear was nailed to the door and you decided, the master that I am serving, I love. And my family's here. And I want to be where my family's at. You know, there was two parts of that when they nailed the slave's ear to the door. It was, one, I love my master, and I love the fact that my family's here too. A lot of times people come to church and they don't really want one or the other. They come for the social atmosphere. I really like the people. I just love the fellowship. I love the atmosphere. I like the environment. I've got friends there. I have family. I've got people that are familiar to me. That isn't the reason to be in church. It's a benefit of being in church. We don't come to church because that's where our family's at. We don't come to church because that's where our friends are at. That's a benefit. We come to church because it's where God's at. We want our family to be here. My God in heaven, I pray they're all here. I've got several of mine sitting back there today. But saints, we don't come because our family's here. We don't come for our family. We come because God's here. And we come for God, praise His holy name. And we pray our family will be a part of it, both physically and spiritually. And I don't want my physical family to ever be a part of this church if it's not also spiritually. My goal is for my physical family to be a part of the family of God. I don't want my daughters to be just a part of my physical family. That has no benefit whatsoever in eternity. I want them to be a part of the family of God. That'll take them being purchased out of their past relationship with the world. And it seems strange that a child would be like that. But I told you, you're born a slave. They could have been the most precious children that ever lived. And some of our little ones around here are some of the most precious ones. From my vision of them, they're about some of the most precious things I've ever seen. 
I had the best conversation with Josiah here, right? Before service again, right? He can have a conversation with me for every service, as far as I'm concerned. He's always got something good to say. He might, good. Praise the Lord. Josiah came over and talked to me about the wall out there, the tools, the operation, what's going on, and why does it look like this? And I said, I can't wait, Josiah, until it's done. He goes, I can't wait either. <laughs> Praise the Lord, we're of one mind. Josiah is on my side for sure. Look, saints. It's a wonderful blessing to have physical family as part of our conjoined family here, but we all want to be part of the family of God. You know, these little children come to a point in their lives where they make a decision, a conscious decision. It isn't something that can happen to you accidentally. It isn't something that can happen to you secondhand either. I can't do something to my children that will guarantee their salvation. I can do some things that will help potentially with their salvation. But I can't guarantee my children's salvation by any action of mine. I can do things that will help with their salvation. I can, every opportunity I get, take them in my arms and pray with them. Every opportunity I get, I can get them close to me and try to mentor them in the things of the God of heaven and earth, try to sow seeds in their heart. And I can, as I've told you many times, the best example I can do is I can live it in front of them with my words and my actions and the spirit that they feel from me. Because if I get upset at somebody in church and they know it, that's going to undermine their confidence, isn't it? Amen. If I get upset with God and they know it, that's going to undermine their confidence, isn't it? Amen. I'll tell you fathers, a father is a very important role in the life of a child. It is a psychological and spiritual fact that children, when they come up under the covering of a father, they are thinking at some unconscious level, this is what God must be like. Now you wouldn't think you'd think about that consciously, but it's a fact. There's some element of their own dad that they're thinking about. This must be how God the Father is. This is what I think a father is. Now, sometimes we learn out of that in the sense that we realize our fathers have made mistakes and God wouldn't or other things. But we can have a tremendous effect on our children. It's true of fathers in an assembly. It's true of fathers in a household. I want our children to be free. I don't want them just purchased out of debt slavery, though. I don't want them just purchased out of the captivity they were in. Thank God for that. I could feel when my eldest daughter especially came to a conscious place where she was beginning to sense that the Lord was reaching out to her, that He was appealing to her heart. Now, I felt it from both of my girls, but I could really feel it distinctly from my oldest because she's a little older. I could feel a point that she came to, saints, where there was something broken inside of her that recognized, I know I need the Lord. There's something more I need. You know, there's a wonderful thing that happens when you're changed in the sense that you were unclean and now you've been washed, praise the God of heaven, by the blood of the Lamb. Paul made that powerful statement, by the way, that relates to the current issues. When he went through a list of problems that people had in the church, some of them which are relative directly to what's going on in this world right now. And he ended that list by saying, such were some of you. Not such are, and God still loves you. I'm sorry, that's pretty hard. But he didn't say, such are some of you, but God loves you. Such are some of you, and God will one day in the resurrection take that out. Such are some of you, and one day God will perfect you, and you won't have to worry about that anymore. That's not what he said. He said, such were some of you. 
You know why they're not that way any longer? But you were washed. Don't you appreciate the washing of the water of the Word and the renewing of the Holy Ghost? Praise His holy name. You are sanctified. God sets you apart. You used to be a certain way, but you're not to be that way anymore. You don't get to stay that way after you come to the Lord. You come to the Lord to be set apart from the world. You come to the Lord to be set apart from your past. You come to the Lord to be set apart from who you once were. Such were some of you. But you are washed. They'd already been washed and they were still being washed. You're never going to stay clean if you don't keep being washed, by the way. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. You're going through a process that will bring you to a state of complete justification in the eyes of God as you're being washed in the present. As you're being set apart and maintain that sanctity. And it's done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. Praise His holy name. It's by the authority of Jesus that we're separated from the world. It's under the authority of Jesus we'll stay separate from the world, saints. It's the name. The name of Jesus represents Jesus' authority. His position. The privilege that goes along with being Messiah. Goes along with being Lord and Christ. There's a privilege that comes with those titles. And that's associated with His name. It's by the authority of the work of Jesus Christ that we've been set aside for God's use. It's by God's power that we've been sanctified. Praise His holy name. And justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now there's the second part of this. I said it's necessary for us to be bought out of our debt slavery. But God doesn't want just purchased possessions. He wants newborn children. He bought you out of your debt slavery. That's when you were manumitted. That's when you became, from the Roman standpoint, libertinus. You were set free. Liberty, libertinus. You were given liberty by the shedding of the blood of Jesus. You were washed in the blood. Praise the God of heaven. But you know, God is not just trying to produce a bunch of purchased possessions. He's trying to produce some children. He doesn't just want somebody that used to be somebody else's slave that's working in his house. He wants somebody that's born in his house. And there's where this other word ingenuous comes in. I am paralleling this with Roman society. That's just for practical purposes. You had a much higher standing in society if you were born free. But you know there is no human physical way to be born free if you're not already born free. Do you know if you were born in physical slavery, there isn't any physical, biological, or physiological way that you could be changed so that you're suddenly not somebody that was born in slavery. But do you realize that when Jesus ascended on high and led captivity captive, He said, the Spirit is not going to come until I go back to the Father. And once I go back to the Father, I'm going to pray the Father will send the Spirit upon you. And he did that really unusual thing to those dear men. And some people get confused about what was happening there. He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Ghost. Once in a while you'll hear people argue about that. That's when they got the Holy Ghost. Then they didn't need to tarry in Jerusalem. They already had it. And they weren't just asked, you know, if you want to, because this is usually what people say about Acts 2. Nominal Christianity will say this about Acts 2. The reason that they were there was just to get empowerment for the ministry. 
Okay, well, then Jesus shouldn't have commanded them to go, should he? He should have just said, if you would like to get some power for your ministry, then what you need to do is make sure you're in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Because there's going to be power coming. That's not what he said. He commanded that they tarry in Jerusalem until the promise of the Spirit come. That's that beautiful passage in the 133rd Psalms. We quote it all the time. How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious ointment, oil upon the head that ran down the beard, even Aaron's beard, went down to the skirts of his garment. You know what else it's like? It's like the dew of Hermon. And the rain that comes and falls, I'm going to rework just slightly, upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. You know the Lord commanded a blessing there on the day of Pentecost? And those individuals that came out to that place, that 120 that were in that upper room, do you know how significant it was that something changed? Not just in the atmosphere. There was atmospheric change. I told you how much I enjoy the verses that describe in these tremendously graphic ways God's voice God's interaction is thunder and great powerful things that occur in the natural realm that are metaphors for God's interaction with the creation. Do you realize there was certainly an interaction in the second chapter of the book of Acts when there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and the power of God descended on all that were seated there. There was a wonderful interaction that was going on. But what happened in the visible realm was nowhere near as significant as what happened in the invisible realm, saints. Because there were some people who had been bought just seven weeks before out of debt slavery. Seven weeks before this, Jesus' blood ran down that terrible cross. And those who accepted Him after that received a manumission of their debt slavery. Received a manumission, that means purchase out of, but they were not yet born in His house. They were individuals who had been slaves, who had been bought out of that slavery. What a glorious thing, but don't stop there, saints. Because on the day of Pentecost, 120 of those individuals gathered in that upper room, and the Spirit of God came in like a mighty rushing wind, and they all began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit of God gave utterance. And suddenly, a change happened within that was manifested without, and birth came. A nation was born in a day, praise the God of heaven. A kingdom was established. It's a spiritual kingdom. Remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Pilate said, are you a king? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. They'd be fighting right now to free me. My kingdom is not of this world. It doesn't come from this world. There was a deep layered mystery in those words of Christ. Not only is the origin of the kingdom of God not something here in the earth, it comes out of heaven. That was the primary meaning of what he said, but there's a layer under that. It's not yet established in this world yet in a permanent sense. You know, we are strangers and pilgrims, saints. We are in a temporary state of citizenship with this world. Whatever nation we're a part of, saints, it's a temporary citizenship. As much as we honor what God has done, and I do, that He allowed us to be a part of a nation that much of its history was a free nation. Saints, we are citizens of a higher kingdom. We're under the auspices of a higher court. The white throne is a higher court than the highest court of any nation. We serve a judge seated on that throne, saints, who's going to judge the nations in righteousness. Don't you appreciate a court that can't make a mistake? A court that is pure. 
a court that is unchangeable. They set the law down, and the law is not organic. It's not dynamic. There's a, we're in a generation right now where they want to say the Constitution is a living document. It changes based on what the opinion of the day is. It's just the structure we need to worry about. I highly doubt the founders of this nation would have been very happy to hear that statement. Do you know the labor those men went to to put that document together? The terrible suffering? Do you know what it cost them to sign the Declaration of Independence? Their life, their fortune, their sacred honor, that it cost them, and some of those men were taken into terrible conditions. They had already promised their life, their fortunes, their sacred honor to the process. You know, you and I are going to have to do the same if we're going to stand for the kingdom of God. We are going to have to be willing to give our life. We're going to have to be willing to give our fortune. We're going to have to be willing to pledge on our sacred honor. I'm not going to be turned. It doesn't matter if all the world is against me. I'm going to stand with Christ. doesn't matter if everything in the world changes because God will never change. That's right. That's right. God changeth not, saints. I want to quote that again. He changeth not. Underneath all the roiling sea of mankind, underneath all the problems of this world, underneath all the conditions that are going on are the everlasting arms. God is still in control of everything going on in this world. So you can be manumitted out of your slavery. You can be purchased out of your slavery. And what a glorious thing that is. But saints, we have the opportunity to be freeborn sons of the King. And that only happens by the spiritual circumcision that occurs with the receiving of the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then you're born again from Jerusalem, which is above, which is the mother of us all. And Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Jerusalem, which is above, is free. You know what that means? If Jerusalem, which is above, is free, and you're born of her, you're born free. You know, that's the only type of rebirth that can occur where you can be changed from that state where you were born a slave and now you're born free. Because somewhere down at the spiritual, physiological level, you're changed from one state of being to another. You're not the old creature that you were, but you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Praise His holy name. Now look, if we're new creatures walking about as vessels of the light of God, let's be lights in this dark world. We ought to be different from the world, saints. Look, we all come from a past that's sordid in some level, even if it's just the inheritance you received from our primordial father and mother. But we can still depend on Paul's statement, such were some of you. Or Peter's statement that I started reading when it made the statement, you're a chosen generation, a royal priest, a holy nation. Peculiar people. You were called out of darkness into His marvelous light. You who didn't used to be a people. That's the very next statement in 1 Peter 2. You who were not a people. Now you are a people. You who did not obtain mercy. It's the 10th verse of 1 Peter 2. Now you have obtained mercy. And because of that, we ought to walk as lights in this world. We didn't have any right to receive mercy, saints, but God was merciful on us. In times past, we were not a people. Now, you can take that in several ways. You can take it in the sense that if someone was a Gentile, you weren't part of the people of Israel. But God broke down the middle wall of partition. But it's much bigger than that. You weren't the children of God. But now you're the children of light. 
As children of light, let's put on the armor of light, saints. Let's be lights in a dark world. I have had in words the battle hymn of the Republic have been in my mind. I was thinking of all the patriotic songs that often come to this time of year. Many of which talk about the glory of the country. Some of which include the glory of God. Many of them do. Isn't it still a precious thing that so many of the songs that represent our nation are just sewn through with the fabric of the Scripture? And all through it is the underlying and underpinning of the message of God. But more possibly than any other patriotic song, the battle hymn of the Republic is saturated with the message of the gospel. Saturated with a call, I think, that really applies this day. And it's really what I had in my mind when I stood up here. I want to read the words of this. I reordered these words. I didn't change the words that Julia Ward Howe wrote, but I changed the order of the verses to make it have chronological message to it. This shows you how much this world's changed. You realize this song, which is a deeply spiritual song, was sung at the funerals of Winston Churchill, Ronald Reagan. Whose funeral are they going to sing this song at today? I don't know if they'd want to sing the words. Now I'm going to change the order a little bit to make it a message. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in His bosom that transfigures you and me. Don't you appreciate in a patriotic song that's part of the message? As He died to make men holy. Now it was changed later to let us live to make men free. But that was written in the time of the Civil War and she originally wrote it, let us die to make men free. I'm going to tell you what, it will take death to make men free. We do need to live it too, saints, but we're going to have to die to something if we really want to make men free. The only ministry that will have a message that will free people from spiritual death is a ministry that is dying. A ministry that's going through a dying process themselves. Look, this is another of those conundrums. There's a whole list you could make of the spiritual conundrums of the truths of God. This is another one. The only way to really be alive is to be dead. The only way you're really going to have the life of God moving through the members of your body is to be constantly dying. Paul said, I die daily. And the reason there's power in the church when I'm, I'm talking about Paul, when I'm preaching to you, when I'm writing to you, is because that power is coming from a dying vessel. I'm dying and Christ is coming to life in me. And as I die, Christ gets more life. And the more of me that dies, the more of Christ comes to life. The more I die, the more Christ lives. And the more He lives, the more the church will live. Praise His holy name. She wrote this song, by the way, she had visited a camp of some of the soldiers and they were singing, oddly enough, John Brown's body. And as they were singing that, the rhythm of that song so stuck in her mind, she slept through the night and she said she woke up early in the morning with the words, the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and she just quickly took an old stub of a pencil and wrote that down. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. Now look, she was referring there to that Union Army. And how she has seen God behind this effort to free the slaves in the South. But you know he's seen in some watchfires of some other camps as well. You know this is the camp of the Lord right here. You realize the angel Lord encampus round about him that fear them and he delivers them. Do you know this church is a camp? I sometimes refer to it as a camp of war. And it is. There's a watchfire that's burning in this camp, saints. And it ought to be an eternal flame. We ought never to let the watchfire of the camp of the Lord go out. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. 
Even in a day where sometimes the lamps are dim and flaring because of all the winds of doctrine that are blowing and all the darkness that's ascending, you can still read His righteous message, praise His holy name. His day is marching on. I have read a fiery gospel writ in burnished rows of steel. As you deal with my contemners, so with you my grace shall deal. Let the hero born of woman crush the serpent with his heel, since God is marching on. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. You want to talk about a patriotic song that belongs in our day? He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Just like the song we sang, the truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. Don't you appreciate that? Amen. He is sifting out the hearts of men before His judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer. And be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. And this is a little bit of a day Newman. You know what a day Newman is? At the end of a book, a book usually reaches a climax in its plot, and then there's, they lived happily ever after is one of the shortest versions of a day Newman, you know. That's afterwards now. And here's what the results were of all the conflict. He is coming like the glory of the morning on the wave. He is wisdom to the mighty. He is honor to the brave. So the world shall be his footstool and the soul of wrong his slave. Our God is marching on. You can believe God is moving right now. When men are moving in this world right now and making the changes they're making, they are not moving ahead of God. When changes occur around us in the spiritual realm and it looks like there's trouble on every hand, God is in the camp. I mentioned this verse here just lately as well. Israel was surrounded by enemies throughout the wilderness, saints. But do you know that fire by night and that cloud by day never left them those 40 years they were in the wilderness? Surrounded by enemies, enemies coming against them time and again. And that beautiful statement Balaam made when he made his strong prophetic message over and over again. Balaam tried to curse them. I just talked about this here lately. And over and over again, God anointed that word to bless them instead of to curse. Do you know this world is going to do their very best to curse the church? Just wait. Just wait. What the world is, is trying to do right now, saints, to capsize and to bury the church is going to rise the church to a higher level than it's ever been. What the world's doing right now to try to minimize and try to marginalize and try to bring the church down to where it can't be seen, it won't be respected, I promise you, saints, the church, the gates of hell will never prevail against. Amen. There is a church, saints, the gates of hell cannot prevail against. A church triumphant, praise His holy name. And that church hasn't died yet. And the changes in society can't kill it any more than they can stop the Word of God. The truth goes marching on. And the saints of the Most High God go marching on. And this beautiful song, Victory Ahead, Victory Ahead. Through the blood of Jesus, Victory Ahead. Trusting in the Lord, I hear the conqueror's tread. By faith, I see the victory ahead. Praise His holy name. I'm going to end with this. And we're going to let Brother Graybill receive the offering if he will. When Peter and John went into that temple, right there at the gate called Beautiful, here was a man standing who'd been lame for all those years of his life. And all he wanted, all his vision could encompass was some money to help him with his present state. 
That's the biggest vision that man had was a little bit of money to make my situation easier. Peter and John said, silver and gold have we none, but what we have we give unto you. And they told that man to rise and walk, and he came up leaping and running through that temple, caused such a havoc. He came up running and leaping through that temple, caused confusion, caused havoc, caused the priests and the scribes to get irritated, feel threatened. Look, we thought we got rid of this guy that comes in the temple and causes trouble. We crucified that guy, and no matter what they say about his supposed resurrection, he's not around anymore. We haven't seen him. We're not hearing his voice anymore. And all of a sudden, the message is going forth again. They called them on the carpet. They called them before them, and they interrogated them pretty fiercely. The only inclusion they could come to when they realized that these men had a knowledge and an authority they should not have had with their upbringing. Those were both fishermen that they interrogated, you realize. This wasn't Paul with all that education. This was Peter and John, a couple of fishermen. They thought, where did they get this knowledge? Where did they get this authority? The only conclusion they could come to is they had been with Jesus. Saints, look, sometimes people say, I don't know how I'm going to take a stand in a world like this. I don't have the courage or I don't have the knowledge. God can give you both. Here's two fishermen, saints, and he made them two of the greatest men of God that ever walked the earth. God can give you the courage. You've got to understand how God works, and that's the beautiful element of the end of this story I'm headed toward. Peter and John were interrogated. They were threatened. Don't preach in His name anymore. We don't appreciate you taking it upon yourself to speak with this kind of authority. You're undermining what we're trying to do. You know, part of what they were trying to do, some of those intellectual leaders, was keep the peace with Rome. Part of what they were doing is trying to keep the peace with Rome. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had two different political goals, but one of their goals was, let's try to keep the peace with Rome. If there are certain things that happen that might stir Rome up where they might take away some of our rights, they didn't want these guys going around preaching Jesus' message. They certainly didn't want them operating with that kind of power so that the crowds would be drawn to them because that might get the attention of Rome and Rome might take away some of those benefits that they had. Peter and John made this statement. Whether we obey man or God, what do you think? What do you think? You think we should obey man or God? You know, they went with that kind of a statement, came back to the brethren. It's in this fourth chapter of Acts. They went with that kind of statement, came back to the brethren, met with them, gave a record of some of the terrible things that had been going on, how they'd been threatened, how they'd been interrogated. 23rd verse, being let go, they went to their own company and reported all the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Don't miss the little pieces and parts in the Bible. Isn't that something? One accord again. They lifted up their voice with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of Thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? In Second Psalm. Kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, the people of Israel, gathered together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. You need to think about that. Not one thing they did wasn't part of your determination and your counsel. Do you know nothing that happens is outside of the purview of God's authority? Right. Whatever happens in our nation or other nations, saints, nothing is outside God's intent and His authority. God is in control. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings 
And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. This point that I think is so significant, those men did not ask for their enemies to be struck down. They did not ask for escape. They said, Lord, behold their threatenings. You know what they're threatening. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak thy word. Instead of asking for an escape route, instead of asking for a window or door out, instead of asking for power to strike them down, they said, just give us the boldness, Lord, because we know you're in control. We know whatever happens to us, you've allowed it to happen or you've intended it to happen. And thus, just give us the courage. Since all the things going on around us are out of our control, but they're not out of your control. God, the things that are in our control, meaning the fact that we need to make the right choices and be bold to speak for you and to stand for the truth, God, give us the courage to do it. Grant that with all boldness we might speak your word. What an appeal! Grant with all boldness that we may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And you can always tell when God is behind a prayer. There's times when you pray, saints, that God is not going to respond right away. There's times when you pray that God may never respond in a way that you consciously understand. Or He responded in a way you didn't think it was the right way to respond. Be careful with that attitude. Because God knows more than we know, doesn't He? Do you realize these individuals got the signification that God had heard that prayer? When they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the Word of God with boldness. And I'm not going to read on too far, but just these next couple statements. The multitudes of them that believe were of one heart and of one soul. I'll tell you what, when you've got that kind of a spirit under that kind of a pressure... That Lord, just give us the strength to say what you want us to say. Just give us the strength to stand for you in this day. And everybody is in one accord on that. And then God Himself magnifies it by coming in with His Spirit to witness to the fact that He's behind what you're doing. You can't help but to be of one mind and one accord. You can't help to be of one heart and of one soul. It's easy to be unified when you know God's behind you. We need to be aware enough of God so that we don't have any problem being unified. And then it says that with great power he gave the apostles witness the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. That was in the middle of a day where the established church and the established civil system was completely against that little group of people. And instead of asking for destruction, instead of asking for protection, they asked for the boldness necessary to do the work of God. Let's have a sanctified heart where we want to separate ourselves from the things of this wicked world. And then let's pray God will give us the courage to stand on our convictions. And God give us a vision so we'll never lose those convictions. Praise His holy name. All right, Brother Stephen Graybill, maybe you'll receive our offering here before we close out. I certainly appreciate the security and the stability that we feel from being part of the body of Christ. Praise God. Part of the kingdom. appreciate your words here, Brother there and uh, ministry has always taught young men growing up to remember the three B's not the better business bureau but be brief <laughs> bold and biblical yes and they'll appreciate you all the more for that but uh, I hope not to talk too long but I just appreciate it not just the message here today brother bear but even when you spoke to you there in green and uh, the decision that was made on Friday and, but the word you spoke about Nehemiah, Ezra, and the 
building again on the wall and in troublesome times and that we are in troublesome times. Yes, we are. And we can really feel that. But even aside from that, I felt like that laid a good foundation in stabilizing our, our meeting to go forward. That yes, here's what's going on around us, but God is still moving in the church too. Yes. And the way the world goes and gets darker, it does necessitate us to come higher and get brighter. Right. And uh, quoting about the Psalms and uh, David mentioned about the heat in there and the second chapter of, but there was another one a few chapters later that, that made a statement that I'd like to read a couple things that uh, in Psalms chapter 9 this spoke, this verse has been quoted a lot the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God but then he goes on to say for the needy shall not always be forgotten the expectation of the poor shall not perish forever and then these last two verses what I want to get to he says arise O Lord let not man prevail let the heathen be judged in thy sight. And I like this last verse here. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Right. That's all they are, it's just men. Right. But we serve a living, powerful, almighty God. Right. Who does hold the end from the beginning. And like right. I said, even all these things that do transpire, that look like, Lord, how are you in this? It doesn't mean he's in it. He's just allowing it to put the pieces together for the glory of the church to come out and shine one last time. Because this is God's earth. And it will prevail. It will. It will continue on. And that even though men will exalt themselves to be gods in the world, where there is only one true God, and then one Lord Jesus Christ, bless His holy name. Praise God. And then this this other song that I uh, so appreciate. And this is one commonly quoted. I thought we'll read it together here, referring to the, the stable feeling we feel in the house of God. Talk about God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. 46 songs. 46. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, yes. and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, and though the waters thereof war be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. He's, our, he's using this pictorial type of creation of how the sea is, and we know this pictorial language of the sea of humanity and the mountains of troubles and the mountains of conditions in this world. Those, those things exalt themselves, and, and though the, the waters are, uh, thereof roar, be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. He says, There is a river, the streams thereof shall make glad the city of God. Praise God. Yeah, even though all these troubles going on out right. in the world, we can come in here and be glad. The we river still flows. The river, yes, Praise the river God. does still flow. Yes. And it does make us joy. Not that we're forgetting our troubles, but we know where our hope is set. If we're in Christ. And that was a powerful statement you made here, Brother Barry, earlier in your message that you could be. In the church, but not be of the church in a way. You can be under that covering, but still not be covered. But I feel the covering, don't you? Amen. Any of us who are in Christ and have been Thank bought you, with that precious blood of Jesus Christ Thank you talked you, about, who have been called to be a part of the kingdom yes. of God's yes. your son, you can yes. feel the stabilizing strength that comes. And it's not, we're not beating the air, we're not running the race in vain, but we're, we're tapping into the most secure thing. And that is the power of God and standing on the word. Praise His holy name. There is a river that makes glad the tabernacles of God, of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. We will not be moved. We're founded on the rock. Praise God. Bless His holy name. God shall help her. And that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered His voice, the earth melted. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Praise God. Come, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made yes. in the earth. You know, they, they, they could destroy things with nuclear threats and, and wars and armies. and they, Just the army of God. We, we mentioned of uh, Moses and the judging of the, of the Egyptian empire at that time. And he sent locusts and he sent darkness and, and, and swarms and, and tempests. God's army is far surpasses anything that they would try to threaten. And if he wants to just move his hands, the earth can be destroyed if he wanted to. But he's keeping his hand upon us. You, you thought about that. You said here earlier, Brother Barry, that God's hand has been on our nation and we've been benefactors of that common grace. Right. And I thank God for that. But as his hand is moving back, and it, it, the earth, and our, mainly our country, is going to be troubled because he can't place his approval on his country anymore. I thank God for the for the law, the, the common laws of the land that allow us to have the freedom we have. But we've we've been so spoiled, haven't we, in this country, where we can go to church on Sunday and just uh, have our free time and just live our life and enjoy it. And it's been very soft and easy, even though you had to work hard. But but now it's getting to a time where there is going to be a greater contrast made, where those stars will shine bright, and it's going to take the darkening of the sky to bring that about. But we, we don't need to be discouraged about that. Right. We just need to hold on to God's unchanging hand. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is the refuge. Come behold what works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. Yes. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Praise he is God. definitely with us. And every time we get together and feel that secure feeling we have in the Lord, it allows us to know that what we're part of is strong and sure in God. Praise and God. that was one thing about the meeting. A few things that I few things I'll share with you before we receive the generosity here today in, in our offering. But one of the things Brother Lord did say that he appreciated most about our meeting was was that uh, the men's gifts were allowed to operate. And that was a compliment to our assembly that those who stood at their feet were able to, to share and it was line upon line. And it so, was so interwoven. Every joint did supply and everyone who spoke was just a, was just a, just a beautiful painting and display of the Lord showing. And even in, even in the contrast of the world, the kingdom of God is rising higher. And also, I, I appreciated when the, the move of the Spirit Saturday night was just the Lord just, just blanketing our assembly and just pouring out His Spirit and encouraging us to rededicate our lives and to get deeper in Him and strengthen our relationship with the Lord. And I appreciate the Lord moving and I definitely want to be a part of that because I don't want to be one of those who are just sitting in the church but not really under the covering. But I want to walk in Christ. I want to come up higher in my, in my walk and get closer to them because this is, as they say in the, I don't know if it's in the army or the war or in on the world, they say this is where it separates the men from the boys. Or when things really do get tough, the tough get going. And we have to have that conviction, the commitment, the dedication, the, the courage, the, all these strong words that we hear. It, it, it's amazing how parallel the, the Holy Spirit and the move of God can just be almost parallel in synopsis with a patriotic spirit because we are fighting a good fight of faith. But we have Jesus Christ, the captain of the Lord's host, who's gone before us, who paved the way. And we can strive and become the first fruits, just as he did. Amen. If we're in him and suffer with him, we can be glorified together. I appreciate the call of God that we have. And I appreciate being a part of this assembly. I don't feel like I'm a stranger because I've been to so many times. But I appreciate the work and the labor that's going on here. 
and I'm glad that I'm one of you. So let's worship God together and keep fighting the good fight of faith. Praise Amen. the Lord. Praise the Lord.